Welcome to An Author Angle, the podcast series exploring creative expression and inspiration with authors, publishing professionals, and other creatives from all around the world. Listen up as host and publisher Ocean Reeve digs into the heart and heads of other creatives and the vision for their work. Be creative, be inspired, be published. An Author Angle, brought to you by Ocean Reeve Publishing. In this episode of The Author Angle, Ocean talks with Murray Altham, author of Hard Boiled Habits. Murray Altham, well, online stalking you was fun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm going to take that as a huge compliment. Thank you. Well, we're going to dig into some of that. So you've got a pretty interesting background. So in a past life, fitness trainer, chef, you've worked in the pharmaceutical industry. Now you're an executive coach. You're a prominent speaker and author. How did that happen? What pulled you into that space? Let's start there. Which space was that? Into <laughs> uh, being a coach and a speaker. Like when you're coming out of a, 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 I mean, a fitness trainer, a chef, and, and working in pharmaceuticals, it's kind of a bit of a leap. It is. Well, I'm not traditionally educated. So um, my high school said, look, we'll pass you in year 10 as long as you promise not to come back. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought, great, I'm into that. It just wasn't how I learned. And I had a lot of bullying and stuff at school. So I just wanted to get out of there. And because I grew up in a country town in Western Australia in the central wheat belt, there was a town of 6,000 people. So the one thing I could get was an apprenticeship as a chef at the local hospital, okay. which is not as scary as it sounds, but it was actually very good. So you're to blame for hospital food. That's right, yes. Well, I was in the old school when it used to be uh, all fresh and really good stuff. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, yeah, so it sort of babysat me for four years between 16 and 20 and got a skill up and... I was earning money, and so yeah, it was a it was a it was a good bridge to whatever else I wanted to do. But uh, like I, I can see the 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 fitness trainer side of you, yeah, I can see that. The the chef you've just explained, pharmaceutical industry, obviously that's a career path people can go to. But knowing what I know about you now as an author and a speaker, that still seems like there's a massive gap there of how you made that transition. I want to know what that what happened in that gap. What took you into that space to write these books and to do the speaking and the, and the coaching that you do? Well, when I was, I think I was 15 or could even have been 14, I used to read Archie comics for, <laughs> that's, for anybody that doesn't know, that's a sort of a printed magazine thing. And I remember on the back of an Archie comic, there was an advertisement for a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Dale Carnegie? By Dale Carnegie. Yeah, that's And it. because I was getting bullied and stuff at school, I thought, hey, that sounds like a really helpful <laughs> title. Let's see. So I, I think it was $3.50 and I had wow. to send to America to get it. Okay. And six weeks or eight weeks later, it arrived in the original sort of hard copy version. Wow. And I read that and that began my love affair with uh, a different type of education. So in those books, I found friends, I found validation, I found information, I found empowerment. So that's when I just have since then have really not step, stopped reading. A little bit of fiction, but I love biographies and I love books about human dynamics, psychology, and just how to be a, a, a high-performing human being. So 
yeah, that's where that love affair started. And is it fulfilling doing what you do now? Because, you know, you, you do speak a lot in corporate and you I've been watching the testimonial videos this morning. It's absolutely amazing the, what people say about you and it's quite diverse too, the feedback. You must be loving this. It's delicious. Delicious. Because, <laughs> because once you, you've got an audience in front of you and because of my work in the corporate world, I have very strong empathy and deep wells of compassion that I developed through that. And when you take that into an audience and you realise that when you're in front of an audience, it's all about them. It's about offering them a gift that they can unwrap, apply to their life and make their lives better. And so as a speaker, when people say to me, oh, don't you get nervous speaking? And I think, well, you're the ones that should be nervous. I know what I'm talking about. You've got to do something with it. <laughs> love it. So as long as you realise that you're there to serve the audience and you're there to help them progress in some way, shape or form. And I always find that people are always better than they think they are. Mm. And it's really just helping them connect with some misplaced resources that they may not be using. So when you can help people do that and then they take that and apply it and improve their own lives. I mean, they're the magic in the equation. I'm there just as a stimulus, really. So nice. it's a great privilege. That's awesome. You and I, I, d I didn't realise this until um, today, you and I have known each other for eight years. Did you know that? Is it just eight? Eight wow. years. Uh, just eight. And God. look how far you've come in eight years. I know, <laughs> I know. I was thinking, holy crap, that was 2013. And okay, yep. Because you self-published Choose Excellent Health through a self-publishing company that I worked in at the time. Yes. And fast forward to last year, and we've got Hard Boiled Habits that you've done through Assisted Independent Publishing um, here at ORP, that, that my own business. Yes. So you would be one of the... I'd say one of maybe a handful of five people that would have worked with me back then in, in the early 2010s, whatever they call it, that has now been a part of this. How did you find the differences between the two, both as a writer and from what you'd learned from your first book to, and also in the publishing process? What were the differences between the two? Seven years apart, Murray. Yeah, what a fascinating question. <laughs> I often tell people that I'm not a writer who speaks, I'm a speaker who writes. So when people get the book, I say, look, don't expect Tolstoy. <laughs> this is, this is a, a reaction to stimulus. So in my writing, it's about, I have sort of feel like I've done everything backwards. So when I was speaking, people would say, oh, can you get us information on this? So I started with an information sheet, then that stimulated the book. And that's what happened with Hard Boiled Habits. People were asking me questions mm. and wanted more information. So... The second book was a lot more structured. The first book was pretty random. It was sort of like a brain dump. And the fascinating thing about reflecting on the publishing journey is that the, the trust was the centre point with you and yep. your divine wife who I met. Mm. And so... Who regularly asks about you. Every time, <laughs> every time like, well, we're having a conversation, me and Flash, and uh, we'll go back to this question in a minute. And your name came up and she's quiet and uninterested until Murray is mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that as soon as she hears that you're on the podcast, you're listening, aren't you, Vicky Jane? Yes. <laughs> well, she's just an extraordinary woman. <laughs> you know? And so I, um, it's actually really inspiring to see what you've done around progressing from working for someone else to moving through to setting up what you've set up. And the way that you nurture authors, and it seems the philosophy is people before profit, so Absolutely. it's always a very people-centred approach. So I find that philosophy 
really uh, nurturing in the process because when you write a book it's really nerve-wracking that last time you push send and you think right this is going to be in print out there in the world and so yeah it's not just about the words it's about the journey of the author and the confidence and the uh, imposter syndromes and all the other you know game of snakes and ladders on the way to getting something into the marketplace so I found the process actually really similar because the process has always been related to my trust in your ability to navigate something through and this extraordinary cast of characters that you've got around with you who are all just delightful. Um, It just makes the experience really unique and uplifting and fascinating. That's awesome to hear and you know if I think back to to when I came to Australia and, and I'd only been in the country two years when you published your first book um, I learned over the last you know 10 years that what drives me and before we started the podcast we were talking about you know what time I start work and stuff and why and I learned that the inspiration that I needed to do what I wanted to do which was set up this place and, and bring a cast of characters as you said um, into one place where they could all kind of support and nurture each other was you it was the authors and I remember a conversation where you and me and Vicky were down in Main Beach and we were at the cafe there and we were talking about speaking and we were talking about value and you gave me some insight I won't go into it right now but I, I want you to know that I walked away with that insight and I kept that in the, in the back of my mind as I made the decision to open up Ocean Reef Publishing it's authors that actually drive this team and we, we always say, like, we work for you, we work for the team, even though Flash and I may run the business. And it, it's such a great synergy. It really is. Uh, let's unpack hard-boiled habits, mate. Cool. What's it about? Why did you write it? You did, oh, you did identify it came from a calling, so you're more an inspired writer. But what, what's it about? What's it covering? It really covers a response to questions I get from clients in coaching really because I have clients that they sort of run quite big companies and it's interesting how the themes of questions are similar even if you're coming from people with different industries and the more things change the more they say the same so while the world is changing around us there are some really foundational principles which anchor in your effectiveness as a human being and it really doesn't matter what changes around so it was really in response to that that i'd get this it was fascinating how often the same theme of questioning or the same theme of inquiry would come up in working with people what are we talking about what sort of questions just foundational things about change is like how do I change I want to change a habit so this could be someone that's running a company with 200 people and even they at that level are still challenged with the similar questions that they'd have of someone who's just trying to develop themselves within a career okay so I wanted to write a book about which was really about the headlines so different things around change communication relationships all the things that end up once you clear the dust away and the social media away and the distractions away there are just these core themes that keep people's lives running either really effectively or in a way that challenges them and my philosophy is always that people will do what they want to do and I think any sort of professional or personal development can't be imposed it has to be invited in and so I've never had a client in front of me that didn't already have the solution to what it is they were trying to work out. It was just buried. 
So a lot of the times in helping someone progress forward, it's just taking off the... It's like when you people wallpaper over cracks. Yes. <laughs> you yeah. can polyfill it, you can put six pieces of wallpaper over it, but eventually, <laughs> we've got to eventually like fix the wall. And so it's about uncovering those layers which usually have very extravagant stories around them to validate them and to, to keep them in place. Right. And the solution's always there. It's just helping people uncover that. So the book is designed in a way that it doesn't go into enormous width and depth of detail. What it does is talk about an issue, challenges the issue, brings up questions and invites the reader to open up a, a line of inquiry just so they can work it out and solve it themselves because in my experience they they know how to do that it's just got to be brought up to the surface so much like you said before about your speaking is that you're basically a facilitator to their own insight yeah i think so and, and it needs to be fun like last yeah. year people didn't have a lot of fun and one of i was asked by a speak agent what's the thing that comes back all the time from when you present and i just said it's energy it's about you know, you can be miserable and have a flat tire or happy and have a flat tire. Either way, you got a flat tire. So it's just a frequency choice. And if you can bring that to a stage and just help people release and uplift and have a, treat it more as an adventure than as this huge big drama that's got to be dealt with, then that's really exciting. That's enormous. That's enormous. You sold out of your first print run pretty quick. I did, yes. And, and what's been the feedback from that? You know, from the book itself, and obviously it doing quite well as soon as you, you know, put it out into the marketplace. What have people been saying about it? It's such an interesting question because I mean, from the author's point of view, sometimes your assumptions are not what you expect. So, the biggest thing that's been most fascinating is that uh, a couple of companies have bought it and had it for all of their staff. Oh, fantastic! And. What's been really good fun and um, deeply insightful and instructive is just getting online and doing Q&A sessions oh, nice. with the readers yeah. because then they get to write the agenda. So I come in with some sort of guardrails in place of, of how we can form the discussion and then really hand it over to them and then someone asks a question and, and we, we address that. And then someone else says, oh yeah, but that made me think about this and this principle here. And I always invite people to challenge. I'd say, look, I'm not the boss of the world. I could be wrong and you could be right. So in this environment, there's no judgment, there's no right or wrong, good or bad. Let's just put it all on the table and explore things and challenge anything you disagree with or don't understand or explore other things that have just stimulated some insight or remind you of something that you've forgotten. And so that's really great because then the audience get to write the agenda and as each person asks a question, the quieter people in the room get more courage to, because they can see that whatever yeah. line of inquiry they go down, it'll be treated respectfully and with an open mind and in a judgment-free zone. And more as a, well, that's an interesting point of view, let's get into it, let's, let's, let's unwrap it and see what's there. So that's been really good fun for me and really good fun for the audience. And it's excellent for leadership because it's instructive to them of what's important to people. And so after a session like that, we usually chat with the leaders and just say, what, was, what surprised you? And they say, I had no idea that this was important. Or wow. four people came up with this one thing which I wouldn't have really identified so it's very valuable to them because they get to sort of sit back and have a third party come in and just unwrap this interesting 
box of goods that they can then work from. It's, yeah, that is intriguing because like I, I'm a creative leader and I, I've like I was saying before about with the team here, I don't look at them as staff, I don't look at them as employees and I've asked them not to see themselves as that. I want them to see them as, as team members and, and myself as a, t- as a team leader. And uh, one of the open door policies we have here is that everything's on the table. Speak freely, nothing's off, off the grid. And it's remarkable how the team will open up about things that you would usually think in a place of employment that they wouldn't. And I guess it's stepping away from that authoritative leadership space. Do you think in that example you just gave where the leaders are, are surprised by what's come, uh, is there a little archaic way of running their team or running their staff, if they use that term, that they need to make adjustments as leaders to be more open to their team? <laughs> yeah, that's a really fascinating insight. You, you prompted it by what you just said. So. I know. <laughs> Number one question I got when COVID hit from clients was, I've really got to explore empathy. Right. And I was like, oh, okay, let's explore empathy. And so that was fascinating because quite often they'll send me three emails, which I'll like, just have a look. I'm just sort of crafting this. And a lot of leaders have a very strong spreadsheet framed mind because they've got big decisions and lots of people and and time sensitive decisions. And what a lot of people found themselves in, they were having to make really important decisions on which were time sensitive and on incomplete information because no one 12 months ago had a crystal ball to say, well, what's this going to look like? And especially in Australia, but I think people in general are really addicted to certainty like in australia we love certainty because we have not had to deal with generally a lot of uncertainty and so for people to step into uncertainty and step uh, expanding their comfort zone and and stepping into these decisions which i haven't had to make these types of decisions before or I haven't had to communicate with my teams. Maybe I've got teams all over the world that I'm leading and I can't go there. Maybe I've got five different cultures that I lead and instead of being able to adjust how I communicate as I go around to each one, if I'm sending out different different types of communication, how do I word that? So I had quite a few people that would send very um, instructional emails which just needed a little bit of soft and fluffy in there. Uncle Fluffy, we call it. And just just sort of, okay, let's bring a little bit of validation in because everybody's, you know, feeling a little bit stressed. And so just by introducing some empathy, it feels like it's going to soften you and be less effective. What it actually does is, as a leader, you want the truth. Yeah. The rule of no surprises. You want to know what's going on. Mm, And so people need to feel safe to be able to express themselves. So for leaders to be able to say, I'm feeling a bit underdone. I feel like I'm uh, tread watering in the shallow end of the pool and I'm not sure how to move this forward. And they did know how to move that forward. It was just actually taking them out of the corner and saying, well, let's have a look at other options over here that you can do. And and they've always, especially with guys, girls, ladies are a bit more effective in this area, but with guys, I would say, if they're trying to explore empathy, I would ask them about their parenting. I think so as a parent, and I've got clients, they're just phenomenal parents. You know, they really are with everything they juggle. They're really good parents. And... So I found that was an effective way to introduce empathy as an idea and seeing if there's any empathy from their parenting, which they can then cross over to their corporate world. And that was quite effective way to have that discussion. 
Wow, that's good. I mean, I was talking to, um, I did a video actually. It was, a, it was a video on Facebook. There was a car accident that I saw on the way to work one morning uh, about a week ago. It's horrific. And I I'd obviously didn't have a chance to stop and, and, and see if there were any major injuries, but there were people there. This is 2.30 in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning. And then uh, within 24 hours, I found out that it was relative to uh, young people uh, under the influence and a stolen car. And I went onto Facebook Live and went on a massive rant about the need to have honest communication with your kids. And like I'm in a very fortuitous position because all my kids are older, you know, 21 to 28 now, and there's four of them, and I have a very honest relationship with them. There's no denying that at some point during my life as a parent that they hated my guts, um, but that was part of the process. And I look at that, uh, I can't call it a skill, I could just call it part of who Ocean is, I implement much of that same communication I had bringing up my children with that team because I think that that honesty that I've always had with them that I now introduce with the team gets exactly what I want back, which is a buy-in to what the journey is for an author, the buy-in for what their part they play in this organisation is, and it just connects way better for me and I feel the trust that is here and also in other organisations where I know that, that that truth from that leader's position passed down to that team, the the trust that they have there is, is enormous. And I've never felt that until the last four years. I think that's a really insightful way of looking at leading the team is to, to explore what your empathy is as a parent or what, what you've learned as a, being a parent. That's yeah, pretty. and it's spectacular what you find. Yeah. You, especially with a lot of uh, very clever people are quiet. And so if you're in a room of people or leaders, you'll always have fairly dominant, there will be a mix of personalities. Yeah. And yep. it's really important to give people a place to have a voice because, <laughs> because you'll often get... Yeah, everybody's been doing all this really noisy, exciting stuff. And then someone very quiet in the corner said, look, how about we do this? And everybody goes, oh, <laughs> that's a lot better. <laughs> so, Makes sense. Yeah. Do, do you consider yourself an extrovert? I consider myself a, an introvert and an extrovert. So I'm a, I really enjoy my own company. And in my corporate world, I traveled a lot. So I was a very independent operator. Mm. So... I'm an extrovert around people that I really enjoy being with and I'm an introvert in every other sense. Okay. Okay. <laughs> very, very, very sly answer there, Murray. I find as you get older, I like, it's like Oprah. I'm not Oprah. I can't pretend I care. Like if somebody's just going on about something and I'm like, I often say, look, there's a different oh. price points of entry into my life. For my family, there's a very low cost of entry. Like I, it's unconditional it's it's open-minded it's whatever you need the less i know people the higher the price of entry so in your 20s you can blow a few years up the wall and it doesn't matter you get the time back like i'm 56 people get 15 minutes (laughs) if they're not adding to my joy and happiness baby i'm out of there (laughs) like i just haven't got the time and so I always bring my A game to every situation I'm in and my expectation is the people close to me that they that they bring their A game. Yeah. And it doesn't mean we don't need places to lose the plot and we have very safe zones to permission to whinge and all that sort of things. But generally, as a personal and professional ecosystem, you know, I like to encourage and be someone that um, 
that helps people bring bring their A game as much as possible. Nice, nice. I, I thoroughly enjoy my own company. I, I will say that I, I do value that that solitude time, um, but I feed off the energy of others. I mm. really do. And if there's a there's a synergy there in the way that we approach our work and approach our life and our relationships and the connections we make, I just oh, it's just so so. <laughs> it feeds me, mate. It feeds me. Good. Now this is the thing that I didn't know. Let's talk about the Green Magician smoothie. Yes. What the actual hell? I did not expect <laughs> to find that. I'm randomly Googling you and just, oh, I'm going to prepare some intriguing questions for Murray. The next thing I know is that, is this a, is this a, uh, a step into a career as a YouTuber? What, what are you doing? Well, this is, this is in response to, okay, well, I'd go to a <laughs> conference, right? And I've talked about all this amazing stuff. We've had this whole experience. And then we're doing a debrief afterwards. And it didn't matter whether it was a thousand people or a hundred people. I said, look, what are the top three questions you seem to be getting back from people? And always in the top three was, how do you make the green smoothie? So how that came up was people often ask me, you know, what's the number one habit that you have set up that you think has given you most benefit to your life? And it's this green smoothie. And there's a video of me making it on my I website. Watched it this I watched So in, in Australia... 93% of adults and 94% of children have less than the minimum daily serving wow. of five serves of vegetables each day. So that means only six out of every 100 children and seven out of 100 adults have the minimum daily serving of vegetables every day in Australia where we have all this beautiful food. And only 4% of Australians have the minimum daily requirement of fibre. So that means 96 out of 100 don't. So... If you're wanting to improve your health and you think, okay, how can I get the best bang for my buck? I can move myself into the top 1% of nutritional intake in the country, which means I can have that impact my health. So I made this smoothie in the mornings now that has um, spinach, kale, fresh mint, celery, flax seeds, and then I have a plant-based protein powder because that speaks better with the veggies, Uh, psyllium, Banana. Green banana flour. And you can put, you can sort of put anything in there. And um, I also have spirulina. So it sort of comes out this emerald green. <laughs> and people look at it and go, oh, that looks interesting. But trust me, if it's got lots of ice and cold water, it tastes fantastic. So that accomplishes a couple of things. It gets me into the top 1% of the country in nutritional intake as far as vegetables go. And if I want to load it up with fruit, I can hit that mark too. Puts me in the top 4% or the top 1% for fibre. And it also is two, it ends up being about a litre and a half to two litres. So I can drink that for breakfast and then I can also have another one during the day. So you get a lot of bang for your buck. And that's all done in the morning. And it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, and what yeah. it does to your health and your vitality and your nutritional intake and the, the hydration in your body, it just accomplishes a lot. There was a moment in the video, it's right near the end, where you've finished making the smoothie and it's on the, the, the expensive... Uh, <laughs> the $700 yeah, the $700. <laughs> And you're about to sample it, and I went, he better not sh- you know, show that grimace in his face. Says, yeah, this is great and really disgusting, but you didn't. I mean, it does appear as though it's quite tasty. It's fantastic. Like, people get shocked when they – and it has, I put fresh ginger in, and the, the plant-based protein powder actually is what sweetens and flavours it, and a huge right. handful of fresh mint. So it's actually incredibly delicious. And it looks like army fatigues. <laughs> but I tell you what – that's the best habit I've changed in the last 12 months. 
Wow. Well, well, it was a surprise to see that there on your um, on your website, <laughs> and I, I had to do a double take. And then I thought, I've got to watch this because this and is... And I, I was so... Tra- I just got back from the gym, so I'm like completely trashy, no light, no great lighting. So it's very real, but it does the trick. But the, it's effective and it is it is something that I watched the entire video of, which is, you know, I'm part of that 94%, mate. You, you, you know you know that. Um, and it was good to watch. And I'll, I'll make sure Vicky Jane checks it out. She'd love it. <laughs> what inspires you? What inspires me... Peace of mind inspires me. Okay. I mean, I really, I had so many years of um, sort of anxiety, I suppose, and, and other things that were needed to be overcome. And so now I value peace of mind. I value, um, yeah, pe- I like a peaceful, I like exciting elements of life, but I really value peace of mind. I think that's something for all of us that is something that... Yeah, it's a pretty chaotic world out there sometimes. It's a, it's a calming state to be in when you've got it. It yep. just means, and you've got your ducks in a row. Yep. You know, your, 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 your financial life, your health life, your relationships, your, everything's progressing in a good way. And yeah, so I think it's peace of mind is, is when you know you're on a progression and you're being fairly deliberate about how you're investing your time and your mm-hmm. life. And it doesn't mean you don't make mistakes or you don't freak out occasionally. It just means there's a trajectory of carving out yourself as a, I like the idea of a sovereign nation and, I, and be, to be a sovereign individual that you, your emotions are, you know, are your own and you're, you're, you're on a path that you're determining as much as we possibly can. I think that gives you a sense of purpose. You know, I, I, I've, I've said a lot to authors and, and to my kids even, uh, You've got to have a vision, and every step you have one. Every day you have one goal towards that vision, and it doesn't matter how big or small it is. But if you're looking back at the end of the day and going, "Yep, well, I can tick that box," you just feel that sense of purpose is more defined for you, and it's more concrete, mm. you know. And uh, when you said peace of mind, and I was just reflecting on that for the journey that I've gone down, I would say that I have it because I've got that vision really clear. And you're doing something you love. Like yeah. I was in a corporate role for 11 years that I loved so much. I didn't feel like I worked for 11 years. I worked a lot and travelled a lot and it was a very intense working environment yeah. and I was all over the world. And I can honestly say I, there wasn't one day where I felt like I went to work. Yeah. Like when you're on mission and you're with a tribe and you just feel like I believe you should build a life that you don't need a vacation from. Yep. So a lot of people are sort of, oh, got to have a break. And I was always always interested in um, work-life integration than work-life balance, where work-life integration was, and we all are like that at the moment because we have this um, advertising device that we make our phone calls on. And that just keeps us distracted a lot of the time because that's the mission of that device. And so to actually stay on track and stay in a, in a state where you're creating a life that you want and that all the elements are nice, I've, my partner loves holidays and never happier when they're on a plane. And I'm exactly the opposite. After four days at a resort, I'm going nuts. Really? Because I love, so now when Every time we, I see you on social though, you're on, on a holiday. I know, but we're always working. So normally this time we'd be in the snow in Canada, but we can't go there. And I, I've just learned that I need to work because what I do is joyful yeah. and it's almost like a punishment not to. So I would be seeing clients over um, 
Zoom or whatever, and I'd they'd have the snow in the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, which is kind of fun. Well, I mean, it's driving towards something. It's like I said before, with that passion and uh, sorry, with that purpose, is you got to have passion for that purpose. And and work life balance never clicked for me. I never really got it. I don't think that you know. I, I, again, I I, sh- I should show gratitude. Um, I've been very fortunate to work in a space that has been all around creative expression, whether it's film and TV or, or writing or um, music or in, in radio. And every stage through, throughout my career over the past 25 years, I've loved it, every part of it. Mm. And I know that, that, that a large part of the population out there goes to work because they have to pay bills. And mo- you know, I hate Mondays, TGIF. I just don't have that. I don't have that at all. Do you? Would you relate to that? Are you the same? Do you, yes. hate, do you hate Mondays, Murray? No. <laughs> I mean, you know, once you pass 50, every day is great. <laughs> you think, it's when people give me compliments. I, I, I don't even care if they're not sincere. I'll, like, after 50, it's like, absolutely, this is great. Oh, fantastic. And just on peace of mind, like, I had a really interesting experience yesterday because I was in the sauna at the gym and somebody came into the gym and they were watching a movie on their phone sitting in the sauna after a gym workout. And I was just thought. Like everybody else is in there sort of relaxing and the person came in and this is without headphones. So like oh, the noise is going around. Right, so anyway, I tried to hold my, and then I thought, oh, look, we wouldn't happen to have any headphones, would you? And so I thought when you're in a sauna, we're in a relaxing state and then you're on your phone watching quite a bombastic movie. I just thought that, I just thought, wow, this is really interesting. <laughs> and the other thing is, do you know what's frightening and fascinating about a book? Go. Reading a book is the last private conversation you can have. Wow. So if you're having a discussion or you're watching television or even reading an e-book, you're an algorithm, you can be recorded, uh, filmed, like it can all be inter- so people true. intervene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a book is the last private conversation because it's a conversation between you and the author. Yeah. And... It can't be tracked or they haven't worked out how to, you know, get into maybe the they have, but we haven't got it yet. They can't get into your brain. And so I find reading a book a, a great privilege because you think, wow, in with all the social media and the chaos that goes around in our lives that we all sort of get used to, to actually have a private conversation mm. where no one else is involved and the gold is always in what the reader brings to the book because it's not so much what the book says that matters it's what you do with what the book says it says it's what the book or what you what it's what what you read makes you think feel and do that's where the gold is so yeah. the gold is always in the read, reader the gold is always in the audience member because that's why it's so exciting because the responsibility lies with oh now what can i do with this information and or what has that made me think? Or what has that made me clarify? Well, that's why that's so magic in reading a hard copy book. Oh, I totally agree with you. I mean, they, they are unplugging for a moment, which is which is tremendously valuable. And every reader will take something uniquely different from every book that they read compared to the next reader. Uh, but what I, I think what I would value the most out of it is that that is why physical books have always stand at the test of time. And I remember when e-books came in, and I, it was around the time that I was publishing your first book, and I had uh, an author ring me, and a facetious idiot turned around and said to me, "Oh, when are you closing your doors?" Because he believed the ebook generation was going to wipe out print, 
And uh, I'd never for one second thought it was going to actually impact the print space. And interestingly enough, since then, ebook sales have decreased considerably because now it's so easy for people to publish an ebook. I mean, you and I could sit here right now, write a book, upload it on Kindle, boom, within half a day it's live. Doesn't mean it's any good because mm. it hasn't been edited or, you know, we've rushed it or whatever. But when you've gone through the process that you've gone through to bring this book to life and you've had the editors and the designers and Flash, who was the publishing coordinator, manage that, the time and energy that's gone into it, it means a lot more. So to physically hold that in your hands and disconnect from the rest of what society is offering is a is very valuable time, isn't it? Well, think about the time efficiency, Ocean. You've got someone that may have lived for 40 years of their life. They take five years to write a book. Yep. It may take three years to get it published. I buy it for $20 and I can read it in three days. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for unpacking it that like that. That's, that that's, is that's unbelievable, the value. Reality And all I need to do is to get one thing out of a book that goes, ah, oh, okay, I can use and apply that. Yep. It's talk about time and cost efficiency. It's it's amazing. It's so good. It's so good. Do you have a quote or a mantra that you live by? Is there is there something that you know you remind you remind yourself of daily that just keeps pushing you forward? Really, it starts with gratitude with me. Like nice. I, that's what I try and focus on. I focus on. I think the it's a very. I find gratitude a very powerful anti-anxiolytic. For me, so if, so if there's ever anxiety or um, stepping into uncertainty or even before you're going onto a stage or you're coming to do a podcast or <laughs> you're doing anything which is sort of, okay, deep breath. Sure. Getting into gratitude is really helpful. Wow. Okay. I had a sporting injury uh, three and a half months ago, which, and I'd never been in an ambulance or anything, but anyway, it was the, f- the whole drama. It was amazing. <laughs> And so we did get him, like in, it, getting me up this dodgy hill, you know, getting to getting to the Royal Brisbane for accident emergency, and then getting surgery done, and then going from going to the gym six days a week to suddenly, for six weeks, really, I could do nothing, and for eight weeks, I was on crutches, and I had to rehab, and I'm still rehabbing this knee injury. Yeah. And it was really, I thought, well, this is interesting. It's testing the author's integrity, isn't it? Like I write a book about it, got to have a good attitude and stay focused. And other than losing it twice, which I felt like was very healthy to do. Yep, sure. The minute it happened, I just, and I could see it and I thought, oh, we're going to have to get an ambulance here. I just said, you know, I'm grateful I live in a first world health system and I'm going to work to keep it there. And when we got home at four o'clock in the morning from the hospital, hocked up on drugs, <laughs> I, um, I just wrote on the bathroom mirror, how can I make the next three months the best three months of my life? And, and we've just worked with that mantra. And from going a type A independent, you know, fit out there personality to Driven sort of do nothing and then be on crutches and have to navigate that. And, I can, uh, and to work to keep the mindset at a certain level. And I can understand how that can get very dark very quickly because I had a few little glimpses and going, oh, this could get ugly. And um, yeah, so it's been a very interesting time and it's, it's made me feel very warm towards the book because I read it 20 minutes every day because I teach out of it now. Yeah. And I feel that whenever you read books about any sort of development, it's more effective to read one book 10 times than it is to read 10 different books. Yep, and I just read 20 minutes every day. And 
you know, I'll six or seven weeks in, I'll read something. I'll think the best thing I got out of that reading of the book, I didn't even see the first time. And I wrote it. And working with clients with that as a principle, what that shows you is that your mindset's changing. You've got some new neurotransmitters firing. You've got some new synapses building because what you brought to the book has changed. The book hasn't changed, but how I see it has changed. So with my book, that's why I worked so hard to get it down to 20,000 words because a lot of my clients tell me, look, I've got shelves full of MBA books that are half read. And I talked to an author who sold 10 different books at a workshop with thousands of people and said the number one book that I sell every time is the one that's 20,000 words because people will read it. So it's yep. not a story, it's not a biography, it's a this is what can help you Perfect. and ideas help you. So that's why uh, I got the book to be small so that people could read it and reread it. And because that it's the repetition as if with any habit, it's the repetition that creates the magic. So if people can go in there and just read for 20 minutes and then go check Facebook, then do everything else, I find that's where it is. The efficacy is very high. Do you know how rare it is for an author to state what you just said, which is to, I, I read my book, my own book consistently and regularly. That's a very rare thing because you get a lot of authors who once I've got to the published stage, and you know this because you've done two books with me, which is, you know, edit reviews, then the design reviews, then you get a proof copy. And each time you're instructed to check it and make sure you're happy with it. But usually... 99.9% of the time throughout the 5,500 plus authors I've worked with, when they get to the production stage, they would say, I do not want to read this damn thing again. And this is the first time, truth, hand on heart, first time I've had an author say to me that they regularly read their book and they, they grab something new out of it each time. I get it that you use it as a teaching mechanism, but you obviously personally still gain from reading your own work, Yeah. And that's in honor of the audience because if for me to serve an audience or even serve a client, I need, my mind needs to be open and fresh and none of us are an island of rational. I mean, we're, we're all a bit of a psychological thriller on some level, some <laughs> level. and, and I, I, I just say, look, I'm a fellow traveler. I'm not, a, I never claim to be an expert. I have some knowledge and I ask really good questions and I definitely have a f- sense of humor filter in my life that I filter life through, which which I enjoy and through my, and I've also got very deep wells of compassion. Like I worked in, in the pharmaceutical industry and psychiatry and sexual health for nearly yeah. 20 years. So I'm completely unshockable and I can, people feel very safe because it's like, Hey, let's just, this is, this is not about judgment or let's just get things on the table. And we all still grow and I've still got growth to do and there's things that I still need to develop. I think that's and a life, I lifetime I think that's lessons. important to, mm. you know, to to keep sharp and keep active and keep, especially as you're, you get older, you want life to become better. You, you don't want life to go into a gradual no. decline. You want to be, you know, on the dance floor at 90, you know, on a walking frame, having a great time at two in the morning. 100%, <laughs> man. I'll be right there with you. I think there's an authenticity that comes with what you just said. And I, I mean, we've had some really great, um, parts of this podcast that I, I, I've resonated with, but that authenticity in you as an author and as a speaker and coach to say that you are constantly reviewing your own work out of tribute to the audience that you work with, to the clients you work with. I think that brings an authenticity to the industry that you work in that, again, is probably not seen as often as it should. 
And, you know, to those listening out there, you're going to find out Murray's website in a minute. Um, you need to go and check out what he's offering because clearly there's something that, oh, what I liked so much of what you said earlier about they already know, but you're facilitating that opportunity for them to see how they can improve as a leader, improve as a corporation, an organisation, improve as a human being. Yeah. And, and there's a great, you're living that. Yeah. There's a great truth. There is no doing without being. Nice. Nice. I like that. That's so good. everything starts with... It's, it's it's from the inside out. Yeah. And so to be curious, to be humble and open-minded and not have any uh, bizarre views of your own perfection and and to bring that to, to what you do, a line of inquiry, whether it's with your kids or clients or curiosity is a wonderful thing. Yeah. Curiosity, yeah. it's just, it's... It's often the opposite of fear is curiosity. It's not courage because once what people are usually afraid of, if you just question your way in and get curious about that and think, oh, God, why does that make me feel a bit edgy having to do that and what is the fear built around? And the more curious, the more informed and empowered you get, um, yeah, just it, it allows you to be a bit more relaxed about, about having to be in control of everything. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Uh, look, I, I have not. We're coming to the end of this, and I have not asked all the questions that I've, <laughs> I've got down it. No, it's uh, it's <laughs> always the case because you get into great conversations. Unlike a video interview where you've got structured questions and you, the author's been given a heads up before they put a, have a camera put on them because usually they change after that. With the podcast, you actually I just love the flow of the conversation, and because I'm not worried about camera angles, I'm so in, ingrained in what you as an author are saying i'm going to walk away from this and actually implement a couple of things here what's what's the main thing that stood out for you today i think the authenticity the fact that you read your own work and you 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 pull the insights that you get each time you read it and like you said tribute to the audience and i've got to look at that from a author viewpoint as a publisher because every author teaches me something and that's why i, I totally resonate with what you're saying is that there's you can't have that delusion of thinking that you know it all because you don't. And to grow and become better at what you do, you have to learn from the people that you're surrounding yourself around. I've always seen that in authors, but I guess now I'm, I, can, I can step into your work more, all of the authors, I can step into your work more and take something additional out of what our authors write and produce that can help me grow as a leader and grow as a human. Oh, that's interesting. Thank you. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I like that. Okay, um, what question do I really want to ask you here? All right, last question. What is the best tip that you can give other people if they're thinking about writing a book? Gee, what's the best, <laughs> what's the best advice? You're Get a two-time published Get author, mate. start and finish. <laughs> Well, wow. <laughs> people ask me, oh, when was your book due? I was, I was October. And they said, that's good. And I said, October three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, just to be, be, just enjoy it. Yeah. It's a, it's, oh, do you know what I find writing a book? It's like extreme journaling. Okay. And the person that learns the most from writing a book is the author. Because if someone said to me, can you journal every day or write a journal over a couple of years, I'd probably find that quite, my personality type may find that a bit challenging, where through writing a book, especially when it was 45,000 words and had to get a 20, 
I look at it like extreme journaling. Nice. And so it's a it's 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 a gift to share what you're good at. It's also a great gift to yourself to do it. I, I agree with that. I think so. I, I couldn't journal. I'd find that tedious, and then I'd have to go back and read what I wrote, and I'd just go, "Oh my god, someone has to burn these." Um, but I do thoroughly enjoy committing to the writing of a of a manuscript. I think like the last book I wrote, which was Inspire Your Fire, I wrote on the cruise ship balcony. Myself and Vicky Jane took a 14-day cruise, sat on the balcony. I had to, had the whole thing, 70,000 words written in that time. And it's just, oh, just pull out the best of you when you've got that commitment towards yeah, it. Yeah, look, to be really honest, I love the outcome. Yeah. I'm not in love with the writing side of it. Okay. For me to sit down and focus and do anything for an hour. Actually, I know this about you. Yeah, I like if I could just verbally say it and then it ended up on paper, that would be, uh, you know, that would be great technology. I love the outcome. I love everything from when it's done onwards. I just, I make it happen in the process of it. So, yeah, for me, the joy is in the result and the impact more than the process. To be completely honest. I respect that, Murray. <laughs> I respect it. I don't, I don't agree with it, but I respect it. <laughs> what a wonderful thought that some of your best days are still ahead of you. That is one of the bylines on the cover of your book, Hardboard Habits, How to Crack the Code to a Fresh Start. Uh, without a doubt, it is one of the books that I'm going to continue in my library. And I'm going to try and practice what you do, which is to, to read it consistently and, and, and grab different insights out of it. Murray, thanks, man. Thanks for coming down. It's been a, a great pleasure. Thanks for having me, Goshen. That's all right. Now, you guys, you want to go and check out either murrayeltham.com or murrayspeaks.com. Go and check out The Green Magician Smoothie, <laughs> uh, his other books, what he speaks about and how to get in contact with this guy and get him to come to your organisation or to get involved in what he does. Until next time, on the Author Angle. See you later. You have been listening to An Author Angle, brought to you by Ocean Reef Publishing. Bringing stories to life. www.oceanreadpublishing.com